from there. So, all right. So this morning we'll pick back up uh, where we left off in Acts. We went over the first two verses last time. We went over chapter or uh, verses one and two. But once again, I would like to read the chapter in its entirety as we work through it over the next few weeks. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, we will read through uh, that first chapter just to be able to set our context for the next several weeks uh, as we move through it. So eventually we're going to get there. Now I went too far. All right, so beginning in verse 1, Acts 1.1. 1, 1. The first account I compose, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven after, after he had, by the, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of, them, uh, of things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the epics which the Father had fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after He said these things, He was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while He was going while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up, taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem, for the mount caught all of it, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren a gathering of about 120 persons was there together, and Peter said, Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of wickedness and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that their own language was the field was called, or the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let this homestead be made desolate. Let no one dwell in it. Let another man take his 
office. Therefore, it is necessary that the men who have accomplished us, who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus, which went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness to the resurrection. So they put forth two men, Joseph, called uh, Barabbas, who was the son of Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of these men, show which one of these you have chosen to accompany this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They took lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. I went a little further this week. We've been stopping at verse 11 as we've read just to kind of set the context, but I just went ahead and read the whole chapter to set it in as you're going to see the development over the next few weeks as we kind of go through this. But today our goal is to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Last week we talked about it and we begin talking about the first account, which I compose, that's Luke, and he's talking about his gospel, referring back to the whole uh, thing that he had written uh, of the life and times and the ministry of Jesus in those few short years. Um, so that's that account he talks about, and it's written to this person, Theophilus. You know, we we have a couple different options there. If we look at Theophilus, it could be uh, writing to the whole church. Some have attested. Uh, more likely it's written to an individual because he does refer to him in some unique language that uh, shows up. So they talked about him being taken up. That's Jesus being taken up. And he gives the orders to the apostles. That's the ones that are gathered together. So then we pick up today in our verses. So, so what we're going to begin with is verse 3 today. To these he, Jesus, presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to them concerning the kingdom of God. So after he appears, we see this resurrection after he or after his resurrection and before his ascension we have this period of 40 days and Jesus appears in intervals to his apostles it's not like he's there at all times he kind of comes and goes so there will be periods where we see him and then periods where he's not with them so he kind of go comes and goes in in and out of their midst really so why does Jesus do this? I, I really want you to keep in mind that Jesus does this, His appearing. Uh, he does it in, in which or in way that there is no doubt uh, that He is alive. And when I say that, I, I, I want to say this. It's not like Jesus never died. So He doesn't appear to them to make them think that He never died. He was just almost dead in a tomb. Um, as some people have theorized, he doesn't appear to them in that way. He appears to them as a real man, not a phantom, we're going to see. But he appears to them in a way that there is no doubt that he is the Jesus that has been cru uh, beaten, that he is the Jesus that has been crucified, he hung on the cross, and then he has been in the tomb. He wants them to no doubt that he has risen from the dead, not still alive. Not that he hung on for so many. He invites them uh, to touch him. To What does he do to uh, Thomas? Remember what Thomas says? If I'm not going to believe unless I feel the hands, feel the scars. 
He invites Thomas. Does Thomas go as far as touching him though? No, Thomas doesn't go as far as touching him. He does not. He confesses at that point. But he invites them to touch touch him, to feel him, to, to, to see that he's really there. And, and not only that, but he eats and drinks with them. So I want you to keep that thought in mind as we kind of move through, through this today. That not only is he there physically, but he is eating and he is drinking with them. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians gives us a little more glimpse into this. And beginning in verse 5 through verse 7. Verse 5, And that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. Some have fallen asleep or passed away. Then he appeared to James and then to the twelve apostles. So in the book of Acts, Luke just gives us this little brief account that he presented himself alive. And he says so, after his sufferings. But through some other authors, we're able to get a little bit bigger picture of what his appearing to them looks like. So we're going to put a little of that together uh, here in just a minute. So, But I want to address something else before we kind of get to that. Um, but those two authors that we look at primarily, that we see what happens in that 40-day period is the Apostle Paul, as we've read there, as well as Luke, Still writing in Acts, but the Gospel of Luke. We'll see that here in just a little bit. But I, I, but I tell you what, let's stress that first, then we'll come back to the after his suffering. So keep in mind, even though we have the two authors that I just mentioned, Paul and Luke, who do give us some accounts of what happens in those 40 days, they're not exhaustive. It does not tell us everything that happens in those 40 days. There are things that are probably not recorded that happened in these 40 days that he dwelled among us. So, if you look at it and you go to it, I want to see, I believe it's our next one here. I may have already went past everything. But Paul and Luke give us the point. All right, so three appearances in the Gospel of Luke. Flip back over to Luke 24 for just a moment. Luke 24 Beginning in, uh, let's read the road to Emmaus and let's just look at these appearances and let's read them in context, okay? So, I'll put them up on the board so you've got the three appearances there as you're looking at. But we're going to read these, these three appearances, okay? On the road to Emmaus, and behold, two of them were going that day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. Could you imagine being those two and you're just walking along talking about all what's transpired in the days leading up to this? The, you know, you've seen the crucifixion, you've seen the scourging, you, the mockery of a trial, all this has, has taken place. And you're just recounting not only that, but his whole earthly ministry that you've got to see, the, the miracles and the witnesses. And, and these two people are talking, they were discussing, uh, they were talking and discussing, and Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleophas, answered and said to him, 
Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was the prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and all rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, the third, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women, among us, uh, ama- uh, some women among us amazed us where they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find His body. They came saying that, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. Some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it, just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then Jesus speaking said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Then beginning with Moses... With all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. As they approached the village where they were going, he acted, though he was not going any further. But they urged him, stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had inclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it. He began giving it to them. Then listen to this. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. One of the other appearances begins in verse 36. While they were telling these things, he stood beside them in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why, why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, touch me, see me, for a spirit does not have flesh, does not have bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they could not believe, while they could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I have spoke to you, that while I was still with you, that all the prophets were written about me, and and in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, That is written, that the Christ would suffer, rise again from the dead on the third day. So you see these three appearances now that we've looked at. You see the one where he appears before those disciples. He talks with them. He teaches them. They have no idea who they're talking to. He unveils their eyes, and they realize who they're with. And then you see he appears to Simeon in verse 34. The Lord has really risen and appeared to Simeon, verse 34. And then to the eleven in 36 through 51. But I want you to completely understand that their vision was not simply spiritual. It was not a visionary. Jesus was not a phantom. What does He ask them to do? Touch me. Touch my hands. Touch my feet. 
But not only does that, he asks them for what? Food. So he wants them to be able to grasp that he is really alive. He has been resurrected from the dead. So, I want to move back up. Our next part now is after his suffering. If you look at a couple things, the Gnostics and Docetism, they deny the absolute full humanity of Christ. So, early on in church councils, this become a very hot topic. may have been Nicaea, if my memory serves me correct, but there was this humanity over Jesus. Was he fully human? Was he fully God? And we get all this discussion. So it talks about his suffering, but I want you to keep this in mind. Hebrews best describes it. We have a priest, a high priest, who can sympathize with us in every way. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. So, the whole full human, full God, that's a whole other discussion itself. I'm just going to very attentively uh, scrape the iceberg there just very briefly. That's it. So then it moves on, and it's convincing proofs. If we talked about it, we've already talked about those, the eating, the drinking, those sort of things. And now as we move on, what was Jesus teaching in those 40 days? It says here that he was speaking to them, and he was speaking to them concerning those the kingdom of God in those 40 days. Some of the Gnostic schools that begin early on after this, uh, they believe that there's some sort of esoteric teaching that is really not in the canonical literature of the church, not in the canon, not in the books, that there is just higher knowledge, there's this plane of knowing that only they can have, because guess what? All the books they talk about are really only in their possession. It is that higher middle knowledge, if you will. That's what some of those proclaim. But Luke, he simply says that Jesus continues to teach on what? The kingdom of God, which is the subjects that he's been teaching on during his earthly ministry. Now that they've come to fruition, that he's been crucified, he's been put to death, he has resurrected, now he begins to expand that teaching enlighten them on the teaching that happened that he's already taught on in his earthly ministry. His action and his uh, messianic activity that's going on, it has expanded now. And when he's speaking, he refers to God's promise that there is a rule coming, that, that God's rule is coming, and it's coming through Jesus' activity, through him as the Messiah. So when we look at this phrase that he uses, speaking concerning things, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not mentioned much in the book of Acts. But the same writer that writes Acts mentions the kingdom of God quite a bit in his gospel. And we're going to look at the overview of this kingdom of God just a little bit. So we're going to take a little tour. You want to, if you want to write, we're not going to visit all of these scriptures. We're going to take kind of a a rolling look here in the next few minutes at uh, the kingdom of God. So if we look at the kingdom of God, and if you were to go back to the book of Exodus, you would say you would see that from the very earliest of times, Israel has always acknowledged God as king. They've always acknowledged His kingship. Uh, the psalmist writes in 103 verse 19, 
Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens. And his sovereignty rules over some, rules over all. His sovereignty rules over all. So very early on in the psalmist, we see that. That that is what's going on. That, that this is going on and that they are acknowledging his kingship. How then would his kingship be manifest on earth? Through our obedience. Through our obedience to what we uh, do. To our obedience to Scripture. To our obedience to his Commandments for Israel, for the nation of Israel, he makes his will known. Will known. Uh, he even says that they've entered into a covenant relationship with himself. However, during this time, the kings arise. You have earthly kings, you have Saul, you have the book of Chronicles. You, you see all of these kings throughout all of that ebb and flow of history during the Old Testament. And as that ebb and flow goes, you see all these kings. But who is still in control even though there's an earthly king? Even though there's an earthly king, even though Saul, even though David, even though all of those, they're only vice regents for the true divine king of Yahweh. Yahweh is still in control. Yahweh is still the sovereign over every bit of it. And when these monarchs, these kingdoms, when they fall, when Israel loses its national uh, independence, as you move through, they're conquered. The Babylonian conquer, uh, the Babylonian conquest, they're conquered. And then in, in Daniel, you see this new beginning, this new conception, if you will, the kingdom of God. But it's really only destined to be fulfilled at a later date, according to Daniel. Uh, you see it in Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7, if my memory serves me correct. I think it's chapter 7. So it is in light that you have this new teaching, this new teaching on the kingdom of God. Okay? That's what Jesus is talking about, this kingdom of God. And Jesus inaugurates that kingdom. He says, draw near, or it drew near. And that's the inception of his public ministry beginning in Mark chapter 1. And you see it toward the end of verse, verses 14 and 15. And then through his death, the power of the kingdom of God is released through his death and through his exaltation. That's found in Mark chapter 9. So when we speak of things relating to the kingdom of God, they are the theme of the post-resurrection. The kingdom of God is that very theme after His resurrection. And you see this teaching beginning in the book of Acts. It's identical with the things that are relating to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the very theme of the Apostle Paul, of his writing, or of his teaching. You see the end of Acts, and after chapter 28, I believe it is, or 26. 28, verse 31, it's right here. So when these apostles, when they tell the story of Jesus, when they proclaim the good news of His kingdom, it's the same good news that Jesus had announced earlier. But now they see the fulfillment. They see the events of the Passion Week, the events of His triumph over, as just given that effective fulfillment. 
So it may be something that we could say that the teaching about the kingdom of God that's given to these apostles during this 40-day period, this brief interlude, that it may have been done to make it plain, make it so they could understand the events, the coming of the kingdom. And Luke supplies one sample of teaching toward the end of his gospel. So let's flip back over to Luke 24 for just a moment. And we're going to read verse 45 and verse 47. So I want you to think in mind here what's going on, and this is post-resurrection. I've already read this once, but I want you to read it again. Keeping the kingdom of God, keeping the teaching before, keeping now He's going to expand it, uh, and they're going to minds are going to be opened a little bit in the end of this, or after the resurrection. Verse 45, Then He, Jesus, opened their minds, understanding the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Then he tells them in verse 48, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay into the city until you are clothed with power. That's where we begin in Acts, that whole part there. So that's the kingdom of God. This thing that was brought on early after the conquer of the Babylonian nation, Jesus teaches them about it. This new thing that's going to be brought in, this ushering in this new thing. And Jesus teaches and it's fulfilled when His resurrection. They can now open their eyes. They can see these things. In verse 4, He says, gathering them together, much like the end of Luke. He commanded them not to leave, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, you've heard from Me. It's while He's eating with them, while He's drinking with them, while He's sitting with them, while He's in their midst, that Jesus issues this command. He tells them simply, do not leave Jerusalem. We just read that, that He said that in Luke. He also uh, he brings to remembrance in Acts chapter 10. But I want you to think, He's eating with them, and I said this earlier, He's eating with them. Is He eating out of a need for food? Does he need food to sustain? No. It's a demonstration. It's for him, for them, not for him. He wants them to show that he's real. But there could be some more meaning. One author states, I believe it was in, uh, it may have been F.F. Bruce in his commentary on the book of Acts. He said that there could be a hint of a more Eucharistic meaning. That is the bread when we take communion today. You know, we take the bread in remembrance. So it could be that token of that new age coming that he, that he speaks of earlier. And if you remember, he speaks in Luke 24 about the breaking of bread concerning him in Luke 24. But he tells them to not leave, but wait. And in Luke 24, he adds that to your clothed on power from on high. This is the first, this is not the first time that they've had the promise of a comforter coming. Does anybody remember when or where we hear the promise of the, the promise of the comforter? John. 
in John, Jesus goes through the, the, the disciples beginning in verse 13, or chapter 13 through 17 are perplexed with anxiety. Now, who's about to go to the cross? Them or Jesus? But they are concerned because He's leaving them. So they're just overran with anxiety when really Jesus knows where He's going. Jesus still seems to have some anxiousness about Him, about what's to happen, we see in some of His prayers. But He tells them in that fourth gospel, in John, that the night of his betrayal in that upper room where Judas sells him out as they're having that last meal, that, that last supper before they leave this house, and this house is in the Kidron Valley, and they're going to spend the remaining night there on the Mount of Olives. We don't have a lot of references otherwise, but that whole chapters 14 through 16, he talks about this. When I'm gone, you'll get what? A comforter. You're going to get the comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's going to come. It's going to be with you. It's going to dwell. And in those five passages, in those, or in those passages, those verses, we get that Jesus, instead of Him being anxious, instead of Him being the one in need of counsel, He counsels the disciples who are overly anxious about Him leaving. And then verse 5, I believe I'm going to hold till next time. I believe I'm going to hold there and we'll get into the whole baptism thing. I want to... Uh, would there be any other <clears throat> discussions concerning these things or any questions or anything of that nature? If not, now I want to uh, tell me if you don't, you're not going to hurt my feet. How are the handouts? Do they work? Does everybody like them? Okay, because we'll keep doing them, and what I'll do is we'll kind of add stuff to them as we go. I wanted to start with 